ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله Verily the praise belongs to Allah, we praise Him, seek His assistance and forgiveness and we seek refuge in Allah from the evil of ourselves and the evil consequences of our deeds. Whoever Allah guides, there is no one that can lead him astray and whoever Allah leads astray, there is no one that can guide him. I bear witness that nothing deserves to be worshipped except Allah alone and that He has no partners or associates and I bear witness that Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is his slave servant and his messenger. Uh, as is our custom, I'd like to begin in this lecture, lecture number 13, before proceeding to the next chapter entitled Fasl Al-Iman Bi Kulli Ma Akhbara Bihi Ar-Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa sallam having faith or conviction in everything which the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam has reported to us or informed us of. This chapter is dealing with all of those things that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam informed the people about either of previous events that took place in history or those things that may happen in the future. Uh, just quickly, I'd like to look at the previous chapter that is the chapter of Al-Iman, Qawlun wa Amalun, points number 50 to 54, in which Al-Imam Ibn Qudama, Rahimahullah, in his book, Lumat al-Aytiqat al-Hadi ila Sabila al-Rashad, explains to us what is the position in brief of the Ahlul Sunnah al Jama'ah concerning Al-Iman and he says that Al-Iman is speech upon the tongue and actions of the body parts and a conviction in the heart it increases through obedience and decreases through disobedience and then he mentions in point number 51 the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala وَمَا أُمِرُوا إِلَّا لِيَعْبُدُوا اللَّهِ مُخْلِسِينَ لَهُ الدِّينِ حُنَفَاءَ وَيُقِيمُوا الصَّلَاةِ وَيُؤْتُوا الزَّكَاةِ وَذَلِكَ دِينُ قِيِّمًا And they have not been ordered or commanded except to worship Allah with being يعني مخلص with ikhlas, sincerity directing the worship to Allah alone making all worship for Allah alone حُنَفَاءَ being upright and inclined towards the truth performing the prayers, fulfilling the obligation of zakat or charity and this is the upright or straight being. This is mentioned in Surah Tubayna chapter 98 verse 5 and then Al-Imam Al-Qudana says that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made here ibadatullah or the worship of Allah, sincerity in the heart, the performance of prayer and paying of zakat, all of this is part of the deen. So you see that the actions of the body parts and there's actions of the heart, al-ikhlas, all of this is part of the deen and all of it is part of iman. 
Then he mentions the hadith of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, al-imanu bid'un wa sab'una shu'aba. That iman contains 70 some odd branches, a'alaha shahadatu an la ilaha illallah, the highest of it is the testimony, the speech, the saying, this is the highest part of speech, the testimony of bearing witness that nothing deserves to be worshipped except Allah, wa'adnaha imatatu an adha an tariq and the lowest of it is action, it is the removal of something harmful from the way, this hadith of Qurba al-Imam Muslim on the Akash of Abu Huraira radiallahu anhu. Then point number 53 he mentioned that explaining that in this hadith it is clarified that speech and in the shahada of saying that ilaha illallah and actions removing something harmful from the road that these are part of iman and this is the point here that the scholars of Ahl Sumerah said that iman is not just conviction, tasdeeq conviction in the heart but it also includes speech and actions and then he mentioned in point number 53 uh, <coughs> it increased them in their faith, their faith increased in Surah Tawbah chapter 9 verse 124 and also in Surah chapter 48 verse 4 so that their Iman might increase, showing that Iman increases and then he finally mentions in point number 54 the hadith of Anas ibn Malik anhu from the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam reported by Bukhari a Muslim that he said, يَخْرُجُ مِنَ النَّارِ مَنْ قَالَ لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ وَفِي قَلْبِهِ مِثْقَالَ بُرَّةٍ أَوْ خَرْدَلَةٍ أَوْ ذَرَّةٍ مِنَ الْإِمَانِ That every person who said لا إله إلا الله having even the amount of iman in their heart equal to a seed of wheat or a mustard seed or an atom or a small ant even that amount of iman Whoever testifies sincerely to La ilaha illallah, having even a small amount of iman in their heart, that they would be eventually taken out of the hellfire if they entered it due to their actions. And here the Shaykh or the Imam Ibn Sudan rahimahullah says, so here he makes it clear that there are degrees, there are ranks and there are levels of iman. And even the person who has the least amount of iman, also they would be taken out of the fire due to their iman. If they said La ilaha illallah, having Iman in their heart, not if they just said it, not believing in it, but even if they said it with a little Iman, then even the least of them, and the degrees are many, from the highest to the lowest, even the least of them will be taken out of the fire. Uh, this is basically the summary of what we discussed last week, except that uh, Shaykh Muhammad ibn Sari Uthaymeen, Hafidhullah, may Allah protect and preserve him in Shah just gives us the technical and linguistic definition of Iman he says the linguistic definition of Iman is at-tasdiq tasdiq yani verifying or testifying yani confirming, having conviction in one's heart but the technical istilah meaning it is saying by the tongue or speech on the tongue actions by the parts of the body as well as the conviction in the heart somebody gives the example of speech it is the saying of la ilaha illallah an example of actions is ruku, bowing and an example of the conviction in the heart is the belief that one has the faith that one has in Allah and the angels and the other things that we are required to believe in uh, this evening we want to go on to the next chapter as I said the chapter entitled Al-Iman Bi Kulli Ma Akhbar Bihi Ar-Rasul having faith in everything 
that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa alayhi wa sallam has reported to us or informed us about. And those things which he reported are many. And here Imam ibn Qudama mentions in this chapter a number of things. From amongst them he mentions al-Isra wal-Mi'raj, the night journey and the ascension to the seven heavens. The second matter he mentions is the coming of the Malak al-Maut, the angel of death, to Musa salam at the time that was appointed for his death. The third matter he mentions Ashraat al-Sa'ah, the signs, the alamat of the Sa'ah, of the hour of judgment. And from amongst them he mentions the major ones, five of them, the emergence of, or the coming of Dajjal, the descending of Isa ibn Maryam salam, the coming forth of Gog and Magog, the coming out of the earth, the beast of the earth coming from the earth, and the Tulu, the ascension or the rising of the sun from its west, yani the place of its setting. And then he also mentions of the things that the Prophet informed us about, uh, things of the unseen such as the fitna of the grave, the trial or the test of the grave, the punishment and reward in the grave, the blowing of the trumpet at the beginning of the judgment, the resurrection and gathering of the people, the accounting, the scales, the records of the people, the description of how the people would take their books, the haud or the fountain of the Prophet ﷺ in his description, the sirat or the bridge over which the people would have to cross to enter paradise or fall into the hellfire, the description of the sirat, and how the crossing of that bridge would be a shafa'ah, the intercession of those who Allah would allow to intercede on Yom Qiyamah, the Jannah and the Nar, the place of the paradise and the hellfire, the people of paradise and the hellfire, and the slaughtering of Al-Maut, the ending of death. Uh, these are the things that come under this chapter, Al-Iman, Bikullima Akbar Bihi Ar-Rasul, believing all those things that he informed us about. Uh, some of it is of what happened in the past and most of it is what will happen in the future, whether of the signs of the hour of judgment or of the things that would take place after the judgment uh, and the events of the judgment and what would take place after that concerning paradise and hellfire. Uh, so in this chapter we'll begin to take some of those points tonight, probably just the first two. And Imam Ibn Qadam rahimahullah says in point number 55, الإيمان بكل ما أخبر به النبي صلى الله عليه وعلى آله وسلم وصح به النقل عنه فيما شاهدناه أو غاب عنا يعني that it is obligatory it is incumbent on us to have faith in everything that the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم has reported to us as long as it has been reported صح به النقل عنه يعني as long as it has been reported or transmitted from him through authentic or reliable sources concerning those things fima shahadnahu aw ghaba anha those things which we've seen we were present and we saw it or witnessed it through our senses our physical senses seeing, hearing, smelling, touching and so on whether we witnessed it in that way na'lam or we didn't witness it yani that which we witnessed or came to know through our senses or that which we were absent from and didn't come to know about still we have to believe in it we know with certainty that it is real what he has reported to us is real and it is truth 
أو جهلناه and it is equal there is no difference concerning these matters whether it is something that we can understand through our intellect our intellect is capable to grasp and understand it or we are ignorant of it there is no difference we must believe in whatever has been reported to us authentically from the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam whether our intellect can grasp it or not وَلَمْ نَطَّلِعَ عَلَى حَقِيقَةَ مَا عَنَاهُ يعني those things which we could understand by our intellect or those things which we are ignorant of and we didn't come to know the reality of its meaning what is the real meaning of it we don't know our intellect cannot grasp it but nonetheless if it was reported authentically from the Prophet ﷺ we are expected or we are obligated to believe in it to know that it is real it is not uh, imaginative it is not uh, figurative that it is real and it is true and then Imam Ibn Qadam says مثل يعني an example of these things that he reported to us that we must believe in is hadith al-Isra wal-Mi'raj وَكَانَ يَقَذَةً لَا مَنَامًا فَإِنَّ قُرَيْشًا أَنْكَرَتْهُ وَأَكْبَرَتْهُ وَلَمْ تُنْكِرُ الْمَنَامَاتِ Here he says that an example of those things which we are required to believe in even if we witnessed it or not, even if we could intellectually understand it or not, even if we know the reality of it or not, one of those things is the hadith of the night journey, al-Isra and the Mi'raj, the ascension of the Prophet ﷺ to the seven heavens. And this hadith is recorded both by al-Bukhari and Muslim on the authority of Anas ibn Malik from Malik ibn Allah uh, Here, he mentions this, that this night journey and Mi'raj it was in a wake state not sleeping in a dream it was in a wake state the Prophet ﷺ experienced this while he was awake it wasn't a dream and the proof of this is that the Quraysh denied and rejected his claim that he went in the night to Jerusalem and then ascended to the seven heavens they denied it and they considered it to be an incredible, unbelievable thing. They said, how can it be? This is a proof that it wasn't a dream. Because if it had been a dream, there was no need for them to deny it. They wouldn't have denied a dream. Anybody can have a dream. You can dream that you did anything. There's nothing incredible about that. But what was incredible, he was saying that he was awake, in a wake state, not in a dream, not a vision. But he actually traveled in the night to Jerusalem, which is a one month's journey, going one way. And he traveled in one night to Jerusalem and then ascended, was more than that, ascended to the seven heavens. They said, no, it's not possible. Had it been a dream, okay, we accept it. But they wouldn't accept it when he's saying that this actually happened in real life. This is the proof that this incident happened to the Prophet ﷺ in reality, in a waking state, and it was not a dream. In point number 56, Allah says, وَمِنْ ذَلِكْ And also those things that we are expected to believe in which have been reported to us from the Prophet ﷺ though it may be difficult for our intellect to grasp it and since we didn't witness it perhaps some people may have trouble in believing it in it as did even some of the Muslims of the common people and even the scholars whom Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala didn't give them the success in understanding the message of the Prophet ﷺ or in submitting to it and believing in it even though the intellect may not have been able to grasp it. He said that of those things, أَنَّ مَلَكَ الْمَوْتِ لَمَّا جَاءَ إِلَى مُوسَى عَلَيْهِ السَّلَامِ لِيَقْبِضَ رُوحَهُ لَطَمَهُ فَسَكَعَ عَيْنَهُ فَرَجَعَ إِلَى رَبِّهِ 
فَرَدَّ عَلَيْهِ أَيْنَهُ Amongst those things is the incident when the angel of death came to Musa alayhi salam, the Prophet of Allah, to take his soul. And at the time of his death, it was time for his death, and the angel of death came to him to take his soul, and Musa alayhi salam slapped him, or smacked him, causing his eye to be knocked out. Causing the eye of the angel of death to be knocked out. Then the angel returned to his Lord, to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala restored his eye or replaced his eye and put it back in its place. Concerning these points, Shaykh Muhammad ibn Salih Uthaymeen explains, number one, the expression as-sam'iyat, as-sam'iyat. As-sam'iyat, he said, it is everything that has been confirmed by as-sam'ah. Everything that has been confirmed by the revelation, by the shara, by the revelation from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, of those things that the intellect has no way of knowing. Yani those things that we can only know through the revelation, but they cannot be known by intellect. These are called sam'iyat, what is known by sam'ah. As sam, it means the shara, or the legal sources, the Qur'an and sunnah. So from the sam'iyat, are those things which we came to know through the authentic hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, things which could not be known to him of past events or future events, which could not be known through rationale or intellect. It, can only, it could only have been known to him through revelation. So everything that has been confirmed from the Prophet ﷺ of information, it is truth and it is obligatory on us to confirm it and to believe in it no matter whether we are able to detect it or to witness it by our senses, the senses of hearing or seeing or touching and so on, no matter whether we witnessed it or we were absent from it and we didn't witness it in any way through any of our physical senses and it is the same whether we can understand it through our intellect or we cannot understand it through our intellect. This is important that we understand these two things. Not everything that is real can be identified or recognized or known through the five senses nor through the intellect and this is the point here that part of Iman is believing in those things that the senses the physical senses and the intellect cannot identify or recognize but if it came to us through revelation through the Quran or authentic Sunnah then this is part of Iman to believe in those things and this is, the proof of this is the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Al-Baqarah, chapter 2, verse 119. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that verily we have sent you, and he has been missioned as a Rasul, we have sent you with the truth. And what did he come with? The truth. So whatever you report to us, it is al-haq. It is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He has been sent by Allah with the truth. Bashiran wa nadiran. As a giver of good news and as a warner. And he is bashira. He is bashiran. He is a giver of good news to those who obey him. He gives them the good news of happiness in this life and in the next life. And he is nadiran, a warner to those who disobey him giving them the news of their sad end and their destruction and loss in this world 
as well as in the next life. إِنَّا أَرْسَلْنَاكَ بِالْحَقِّ بَشِيرًا وَنَذِيرًا As they give us good news to those who obey and as they warn to those who disobey. وَلَا تُسْأَلُوا عَنْ أَصْحَابِ الْجَحِيمِ And you will not be asked about the people of the hellfire, أَصْحَابِ الْجَحِيمِ يعني Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling the Prophet that you are not responsible for them. It is simply إِنَّمَا عَلَيْكَ الْبَلَادِ It is your responsibility to deliver the message. وَعَلَيْنَا الْحِسَابِ And it is upon Allah to call them to account. Yani the Prophet ﷺ is told here, and likewise his followers are told, your responsibility is al-balad, to deliver the message, and it's Allah's responsibility, al-hisab, to call them to account. Simply do our job, and Allah will take care of the rest. Here the author, al-Imam ibn Qudam, rahimahullah, has mentioned amongst those things that are from the sun'iyyat, the things that are only known by revelation and cannot be known, through the intellect which the Prophet ﷺ has been sent with in truth from amongst those things he said is the first of them Al-Amr Al-Awwal Al-Isra Wal-Mi'raj the night journey and the ascension he says Al-Isra linguistically it means Al-Sayr Bil-Shakhs Laylan it means to travel with someone to take somebody on a journey in the night to take somebody on a journey in the night this is the linguistic meaning of Al-Isra the technical meaning shar'an, it means Sayr Jibreel bin Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam bin Makkah ila bayt al-Maqdas based on the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Subhanalladhi asra bi'abdihi laylan min al-masjid al-haram ila al-masjid al-aqsa That the technical meaning of al-Isra, it means the journey in which Jibreel the angel Jibreel took the Prophet ﷺ from Mecca to Jerusalem. And this is proven by the saying of Allah, Subhanalladhi asra bi'abdihi. Yani Allah, the one who is free of all imperfections, He is the one who has taken His slave, asra bi'abdihi, during the night, laylan, min al-masjid al-haram, from the sacred masjid in Mecca, ila al-masjid al-aqsa, to the furthest masjid in Jerusalem. This is the proof of the Isra. And this is mentioned in Surah Al-Isra, chapter 17, I think, the first verse. The meaning of Al-Mi'raj, linguistically, Lugatan, it means Al-Alah, Al-Lati Yu'araju Biha. It is the instrument that someone ascends by its means. Yani you, as, you use it as a means of ascension. Wahiya al-Mas'ad It is that thing which you rise with You used to go up in They call an elevator today Mas'ad Or they may call it in, uh, in uh, What do you call this colloquial language Something else I don't know lift or something like that But in technical I mean in the proper Arabic language It's called Mas'ad From Sa'ada to go up It is the instrument that you use to rise up And here Al-Mi'raj It actually linguistically means That vehicle that one uses to rise up in. Shara'an or istilahan, the legal meaning or technical meaning of al-mi'raj, it means as-sullum, al-ladhi urija bihi Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam min al-ard ila al-samaa. It is the staircase or the stairway which the Prophet sallallahu alayhi was raised up by means of it from the earth to the heaven. And this is based on the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Al-Najm, Chapter 53, from the beginning, the first verses up until verse 18, the saying of Allah, When Najmi ida hawa, by the star, 
when it goes down. مَا ضَلَّ صَاحِبُكُمْ وَمَا غَوَى That your companion, meaning the Prophet وسلم, has, has neither straight مَا ضَلَّ وَمَا غَوَى nor has he erred. This is in reference to the incident that's mentioned in the Qur'an of the Isra and Mi'raj of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa He doesn't speak from his desires but it is revelation that is revealed. And in verse 18 he goes on to say the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala لَقَدْ رَأَى مِنْ آيَاتِ رَبِّهِ الْكُبْرَى That he has definitely, the Prophet sallallahu in the ascension to the heavens, he has seen some of the great, the greatest signs of his Lord, some of the greatest signs of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And if you read the lengthy narrations of the hadith of the Mi'raj recorded by Al-Bukhari and Muslim and the other scholars of hadith, you will see that in that Mi'raj a number of incidents took place and the Shaykh mentions it briefly here, you can refer back to the original narration which is a few pages long. Here he says, the Shaykh Muhammad ibn Salih Uthaymin says, that these two incidents, the night journey and the ascension, they took place in one night, according to the majority of the scholars, the Jumhur. They said that these two incidents took place in the same night. Uh, but actually, when did it take place? Yeah, I mean, when, when in history, when exactly did it take place? There is difference of opinion amongst the scholars. And it has been reported within the Sanadim Min Qatiya, a chain of narratives which is broken, it has a break in it. And normally, the chain which has a break in it is not considered to be authentic. In any case, he mentions that there is a report which came with a broken chain from Abdullah ibn Abbas radiallahu anhumah and Jabir radiallahu anhum, which said, Annaha Laylatul Ithneen, that it was on Laylatul Ithneen, the night of Monday. الثاني عشرة the twelfth من ربيع الأول from the month of ربيع الأول the twelfth day of month of ربيع الأول on a Monday ولم يعينا السنة but in that report from Abdullah ibn Abbas and Jabir رضي الله عنهم أجمعين they didn't mention the year in which it took place but they said it was on a Monday night the twelfth of ربيع الأول it has also been reported from الزهري and عروة Al-Zuhri is the Imam of the scholars of the Tabi'een and Urwa is one of the greatest, uh, also one of the greatest scholars from the Tabi'een. Uh, they said that it was before the Hijrah, before the migration of the Prophet ﷺ by one year. One year before the migration. What year it took place in? They said it was one year before the Prophet ﷺ migrated from Mecca to Medina. And this has been reported uh, by Al-Bayhaqi and therefore, he says that it would have been in Rabi al-Awwal. But they didn't say, in their, in their report, they didn't say in which night it was. And they only mentioned the year, that it was in the year before the Hijrah, and that it was in the month of Rabi al-Awwal. Uh, this has been mentioned by Ibn Sa'ad, Muhammad Ibn Sa'ad, one of the scholars of history, and one of the scholars who also narrated hadith, and others besides him. And it has been mentioned, يعني, with a firm conviction, or has been mentioned with certainty, that this was so, it was mentioned by Al-Imam al-Nawawi, that it was in the year before the Hijrah. Also, as Siddi, one of the scholars of the Tabi'een, says, it is reported from him, that it was, actually, he said it was 16 months before the Hijrah. Not one year, but more specifically, 16 months 
before the Hijra. These are some of the differences of opinion among the scholars. When did it actually take place? And this has been reported, and it has also been reported from Al-Hakim, and that it was 16 months before the Hijra, and in that case it would have been in the month of Dhul-Qi'dah, yani the month before Hajj, the month before Dhul-Hijjah, Dhul-Qi'dah, if it was 16 months before the Hijra. Some of the other opinions, some said that it was three years before the Hijra, some said it was five years before the Hijra, and some said that it was six years before the Hijra. In any case, the important thing, the important thing, and perhaps the closest opinion is that it was one year before the Hijra, as some of the scholars said, that it was a reaffirmation re- or a strengthening of the Prophet ﷺ at the time when they were being persecuted and tested. Allah took him on this journey and the ascension to the heavens to strengthen his, to strengthen his Iman and his, uh, يعني, his heart um, as a support for him in that trying time just before the Hijrah. In any case, the Shaykh says that this incident took place while the Prophet ﷺ was awake. It was not in a sleeping state or in a dream, and the proof of it is as Imam al-Qadam said that the Quraysh rejected it, and they considered it يعني, his claim to such a thing as being incredible. Had it simply been a dream that he was claiming, there was no need for anyone to reject it or to deny it or to consider it as anything incredible since people have all kinds of dreams. No one can stop someone from dreaming. Uh, <coughs> here the Sheikh says, the story of the Isra and Mi'raj is that the angel Jibreel was ordered by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to take the Prophet sallallahu on a journey from Mecca to Jerusalem, to Beit al-Maqdis, on the animal al-Buraq. He was taking on that animal for a ride from Mecca to Jerusalem and then the ascension with him to the highest heavens. One heaven after another. And in the reports of this in the hadith, uh, the descriptions of what happened and who they met at each heaven the doorkeepers asking who was with you, asking Jibril who was with him, and he said that he was, uh, was with him was Muhammad sallallahu and they asked what he called for, and he said that Allah had sent for him, and so on. This incident is, is discussed in detail in very, very lengthy narrations which cover a number of pages. Anyway, he said that he went with him from one heaven to another until he reached the place where he heard the sounds of the cracking or the squeaking of the pens the pens which write the decrees and in that place it was made obligatory on the Prophet and his Ummah to perform five prayers in a day that was on the occasion of the Mi'raj and also one of the signs that he saw of the great signs of Allah is mentioned in this ayah from Surah Al-Najm is that he saw the paradise and the hellfire and he saw people in the paradise and the hellfire saw people being tortured and, and asked about some of them what they were being tortured for and so on. And also on this journey of the great signs of Allah that he witnessed was that he met with the noble prophets and he led them in prayer as the imam of them. The Prophet Muhammad met the prophets and he led them in prayer. Then he returned after this incident, he returned to Mecca and he mentioned it to the people what he saw and they denied him. The disbelievers denied him, while the believers believed him. And some were confused. 
some were unable to decide is it true or is it not true those who had Iman they believed without question and from amongst them were those who were closest to him Abu Bakr Siddiq and Umar al-Khattab and the pagans disbelieved him and others were in doubt this is the explanation of what the Shaykh mentions concerning this matter it is one of the things that has been reported to us uh, authentically and it is expected that we believe in it the second matter which he mentions is a more controversial matter although the first matter the Isra and the Araj also amongst the Muslim scholars there are some differences concerning whether or not it was merely a dream or a vision and actually as has been mentioned here and which what is clear is that the correct opinion is that it was an awake state it was a real experience not a vision or a dream as for the second matter the coming of Malakul Maut the angel of death to Musa salam, it is more controversial and it has led actually to some of the so-called Muslim scholars or the people who identify themselves as being people of knowledge and scholarship to deny the authentic hadith of the Prophet due to their minhaj or their methodology of giving preference to the intellect over the revelation yani whenever there is a conflict between the naql and the aql between that which has been transmitted to us by revelation and that which is understood by the intellect then they give preference to the intellect and we discussed this previously this is the minhaj of the ashariya and others before them and it is widespread in the Muslim world today the madhab of the ashariya and one of the fundamental principles of the madhab is the precedence of the intellect over revelation and this is a clear example of that as some of their foremost scholars perhaps one of the foremost mufakkir or mufakkirin of today of this uh, century from the Ashariya people is Muhammad Ghazali who recently died and he was one of those people who denied firmly this hadith of the Prophet though it is reported in the most authentic of narrations agreed upon by both Al-Bukhari and Muslim yet they, he by his intellect he tried to rationalize and deny that such a thing could have taken place how can a prophet refuse to die when the angel of death came to him and how can a man knock out the eye of an angel and so on he went on to reason and rationalize using his intellect instead of accepting that the messenger of Allah وسلم, he doesn't speak from his own self it is but revelation Allah has revealed to him that this took place historically it, the Prophet didn't witness it but Allah informed him of it and he informed the believers in his time and it has been passed down to us by the most authentic of chains of marriage and we believe in it and we don't necessarily use our intellect to judge what is any acceptable or not but if it is authentically reported from the Prophet we accept it if we understand it or not if we can understand it, alhamdulillah, if not, we still submit to it and accept it as truth because he doesn't come with anything except truth. The Shaykh says here concerning this incident that the angel of death came to the Prophet of Allah, Musa salam, in the form of a man. He came to him as a man, not in his form as an angel, but he came to him as a man. And the hadith is very clear about this. He came to take his soul and Musa salam, slapped him and caused his eye to come out. The angel returned to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and said, Arasaltana ila abdin la yurid al-mawt. 
You have sent me to one of your slaves, one of your servants, who doesn't want to die. So Allah returned, فَرَدَّ اللَّهِ عَلَيْهِ عَيْنَهُ Allah restored his eye and said to him, إِرْجِ إِلَيْهِ وَقُلْ لَهُ دَعَ أَوْ يَدْعَ يَدَهُ عَلَى مَتْنِ ثَوْرٍ فَلَهُ بِمَا غَتَّى بِمَا غَتَّى يَدَهُ أَوْ يَدُهُ بِكُلِّ شَعْرَةٍ سَنَةٍ Go back to him and say to him, put your hand on the back of the ox. Put your hand on the back of this animal, an ox. And you will have one year, you will have one year to live. For every hair that you cover with your hand, you will, you will live for one year. فَقَالَ مُوسَى ثُمَّ مَاذَا And after he did this, then Musa said, okay, now what? قَالَ ثُمَّ الْمَوْتِ Then he said, then you will die. And after that time period, then you have to go, you have to die. قَالَ فَالْآنَ Then Musa said, in that case, then I might as well return to Allah now. الآن let me return to my Lord. فَسَعَلَ اللَّهِ أَنْ يُدْمِهِ مِنَ الْأَرْضِ الْمُقَدَّسَ رَمْيَةَ حَجَرٍ Then he requested from Allah, Musa a.s. requested from Allah that he, that the place where he would die and he would be near in the sacred lands. A stone's throw. Yani that close to the sacred lands. You know that the Bani Israel, they were roaming in the desert because they refused to enter the land that was promised to them. They told Musa, you and your God go in and fight with them. There's tyrants in that land. They were cowards. They didn't want to fight. They said, you and your God go and fight. Then Allah caused them for 40 years to wander in the desert. Musa when his time for death came, he wanted at least to die near the sacred land that they were promised. He asked Allah to do so and Allah granted him that. So that he died and he was buried in a place close, a stone's throw, that close to the sacred lands that he was not allowed to enter, but at least he wanted to die near there. The Prophet said, فَلَوْ كُنْتَ ثَمَّ he said that, were I there, the Prophet said, were I there in that place near the sacred land, if I were there, I would have shown you his grave. And he knew exactly where Musa was buried, close to the sacred land. He said, were I there, I would have shown you his grave on the side of the road near the red sand hills. Then the Shaykh says that this hadith is authentically recorded in the Sahihain, Al-Bukhari and Muslim. And here the author Ibn Qudama has mentioned this hadith in a book of Aqidah because some of the people of Bid'ah denied it using their rationale to explain that it's not possible that Musa could have slapped the angel. And we respond to them and we answer them by saying first that the angel came to Musa as reported authentically in the hadith in the form of a man. And Musa didn't know who he was. He came in a form as a human being. And he didn't know who he was. And he came. Yeah, and he's coming to take his life from him. As a man coming to take the life of Musa. It is the nature of the human being. If someone tries to harm them, that they will defend themselves. They will protect themselves. And this is what Musa did. If Musa had known that he was an angel, he would not have slapped him. And, for, and the proof of this is that when the angel came to him the second time, Musa submitted. He didn't attack him or do anything. When he came to know that he came 
يعني that he came from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with a command from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and then he submitted to him and he came that time to give him an extension of years to the amount that of hairs that his hand would cover on the back of the ox يعني Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent the angel to him this time with an extension of life if you put your hand over the back of the ox the number of hairs that you cover you will live that many more years uh, this is the end of the explanation of the shaykh but there is a very important point here that uh, since there is time I will try to cover it it is the explanation of this hadith from Imam Ibn Hibban Rahimahullah in his book the Sahih Ibn Hibban under the title the mention of the information that was rejected or unacceptable to those people who didn't give fair attention or who were unjust in accepting the reports from the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam those people who Allah prevented from having the success in understanding the meaning of these hadith and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives the understanding to whomever he wills and these people who didn't understand it they rejected it here Imam Ibn Hibban rahimahullah says after mentioning his narration of this hadith he said that verily Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent his messenger Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam to teach the creation and he put him in the position of clarifying whatever he wanted whatever Allah wants he sent his messenger as the explainer and the clarifier of what he wants and what he intends so he Muhammad وسلم, delivered his message and he clarified the signs of Allah in expressions some of them being general and comprehensive and some of them being detailed and specific some of the companions of the Prophet understood it and from amongst that which he explained to the people or the message that he delivered to them of the news of the past that some of the people understood and some people didn't understand is this story of the coming of the angel of death to the Prophet Musa this is of those things that the Prophet ﷺ, of the things that he was sent to deliver to the people, the information that Allah sent him with to inform the people of, some people understood it and some people didn't. Here he said the angel was sent to Musa with a message that was meant to be a test or a trial for him. It was meant to be a test. Yani Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala didn't intend for the angel of death actually to take the life of Musa at that time but he sent him as a test a test for Musa and he ordered him to say he ordered the angel to say to Musa as recorded in the hadith Ajib Rabbah yani answer your lord yani submit give your surrender yourself this was a command or a, 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 a test or a trial for Musa a man came to him suddenly appeared in his house telling him to give up your life he doesn't know that it is the angel of death all he knows is somebody is coming trying to kill him but it wasn't Allah's will that the angel take his life Allah didn't intend for the angel to take Musa's life but he, intend, he sent him only as a test for him 
as Allah. Ibn Habban says, just as Allah ordered Ibrahim, Khalilullah, he ordered him to sacrifice his son. It was not a command that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala intended for him to fulfill, but it was only a test. Allah didn't intend for him to kill his son. But he sent him, he commanded him to do something as a test for him. And so also Allah sent the angel of death to Musa, ordering him to give up his life as a test for him, not really for him to die at that particular time. So just as when Ibrahim salam and he made the conviction and intended and made the effort and put his son down to sacrifice him at that time Allah replaced him with a great ram as a sacrifice instead of his son uh, so also we know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent angels to his messengers in forms that were not known to them and just as the angel of death came to Musa and informed that he didn't know him it's not so strange it also happened when the angels who came to Ibrahim when the angels came to Ibrahim in a form as men and he didn't recognize them in fact as is recorded in the Quran he became frightened from them and then they explained to him that we have been sent by the Lord don't be afraid of us likewise the coming of Jibreel to the Prophet when he asked him what is Iman, what is Islam, what is Ihsan and the Prophet didn't know who he was until he went away when he turned away then he came to know that it was the angel Jibreel so such instances of Allah sending angels in a form other than the form that is known to the Prophet has happened not only to Musa but it also happened to the Messenger of Allah Muhammad وسلم, and before him to Ibrahim. Since Musa was in a position, he found a strange man in his house who he didn't know. And he was surprised by this man saying, give up your life. So he slapped him. And this slap caused the eye to be removed from the angel who was in a form other than his real form, not in the form that Allah created him, but in the form of a man that Allah sent him in at that time. It wasn't actually the eye of the angel, but it was the eye of the form that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent the angel in as a The hadith of Abdullah ibn Abbas when he said that Jibreel led me in prayer Bayt Marrataini yani at the sacred house two times in this report in the end of it it says that Jibreel when he led the Prophet in prayer on two occasions identifying for him the times of the prayer when someone had come to the Prophet once asked him what are the times of the prayer and then angel Jibreel came to him to identify he prayed with him on two occasions showing him the times of the prayer in the end of that hadith he said Hada waqtuka وَوَقْتُ الْأَنْبِيَاءِ قَبْلَكَ That this is the, your timing and it, also, it is also the timing of the prophets before you. This is a proof that, a clear proof that some of the things which are legislated in the legislation of the previous prophets are also legislated in our Sharia, the Sharia of Muhammad And from our Sharia is that 
if a person enters someone's house without their permission or looks through a hole or any place spying looking in their house without their permission then there is no blame on the person who knocks out their eye. It's permissible in the Sharia of Islam that if a person peeks in anyone's house they may poke their eye out. So it was also in the Sharia of Musa السلام, like this that no one may enter your house without your permission therefore there was no blame on Musa in what he did because to him it was a man, a strange man entering his house without his knowledge or without his permission so there was no blame on him in responding the way that he responded. Uh, then Al-Hibban says when the angel of death returned to his Lord and informed him of what Musa had done he ordered him, that is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala ordered him a second time but this time with another command which was also a test it was also a test he said to him and if you will then put your hand on the back of the ox and you will have for every hair that your hand covers an extension of one year of life also Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala didn't intend for Musa's life to be extended here but it was a test for Musa it was a test to see if he will if he was going to try to live longer or would he submit but this time Musa came to know that this was the angel sent by Allah so when he knew that uh, that he was the angel of death and that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had sent him he prepared himself to accept that which was inevitable and he didn't seek any delay or extension of time but he submitted and accepted as well as expected from the best of humanity or the best of creatures, the Anbiya, the Prophets he said, Fal'ana then if Allah sent the angel of death to me, then it's my time and he submitted and he said, take me if Musa had known that the angel of death that he was in fact an angel the first time he came to him he wouldn't have done what he did but he would have acted in the way that he acted when he came to know with certainty that it was in fact Allah's command and it was his time and that the angel of death had come to him to take his life and this is the correct understanding of this incident contrary to those who claim that the scholars of hadith are just collecting everything and are just blindly in darkness collecting reports without examining them they said that these things need to be tested and examined by our intellect but these people they accept everything well in fact the scholars of hadith accept those reports which are authentically rigorously examined through the test of authenticity of hadith they accept it if it has been authentically reported from the Prophet and we don't question anything that the Messenger of Allah has offered to us but these people claim that the scholars of hadith are just collecting everything that there is no benefit in what they are collecting there is no reward for collecting such things and that these things which they are collecting actually nullify Islam or these things are contrary to Islam but this is due to their ignorance of the correct meanings of the hadith of the Prophet and their lack of understanding or fiqh of the reports from the Prophet and instead of accepting the sayings of the Prophet they have relied upon their opinions 
and they have relied upon their own ijtihad and their qiyas which is contradictory to what has been authentically reported from the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam this is the end of the statement of Ibn Hibban yani basically what he said although in some parts maybe I skipped over a little uh, to try to complete the idea of what he is saying here showing that such matters which may be difficult for our intellect on first view to understand perhaps if we read some hadith like this we will not be able to understand what is the meaning of this and how can this be real but actually if we return to our scholars and listen to the explanation of the hadith then we will come to know that those whom Allah has given the tawfiq to are able to comprehend and to grasp the meaning of the sayings of the Prophet in order that we may not be inclined towards reject, rejection of the truth due to our ignorance or lack of understanding or due to the false position of giving precedence to the intellect over the revelation. This is the end of the point that we want to mention for today and inshallah perhaps in the next uh, in the next lecture the third matter is Ashraq al-Sa'a the signs of the hour and they are the five major five major ones I mentioned here we'll discuss them inshallah in the next lecture subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika ashadu an la ilaha illa anta astaghfiruka wa atubu ilayk if there are any comments or corrections or questions from the brothers or the sisters inshallah there is time otherwise if you have no questions I have questions <laughs> We should take our questions first, then I'll take yours. And the first question, what is our obligation towards reports of past or future events related by the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam? Naam. But we accept it. Naam. We accept reports from the Prophet sallallahu alayhi of past and future events, but on the condition, on the condition that it is authentic. Ismad, Asanib, Sahiha, authentic narrations, because some people fabricated lies against the Prophet But that which has been reported authentically with authentic chains of narration, we accept it, even if our intellect cannot grasp it. Number two, what is Al-Isra and Al-Mi'raj, linguistically and technically? What is the meaning of Al-Isra? Okay, the linguistic definition first, it means to accompany someone in a journey in the night. The technical definition is the journey now from Mecca to Jerusalem, where Jibreel accompanied the Prophet ﷺ from Mecca to Jerusalem. This is the Isra or the night journey. And the Mi'raj? Naam, it is the vehicle or the instrument that someone rises up in. And here the technical meaning of Mi'raj, it is the staircase or the stairway or the vehicle which the Prophet ascended from Jerusalem to the seven heavens. And it was on the occasion of the Mi'raj that the five obligatory prayers were made obligatory and other such any signs of Allah that the Prophet was granted such as seeing, witnessing, some of the events of the paradise and the hellfire and so on. Number three, why did Musa السلام, slap the angel of death when he came the first time? Because he didn't recognize him. He came to him in the form of a man. He came to him in the form of a man and he didn't recognize him and he was stunned by someone in his home suddenly appearing without his permission or his knowledge so he responded as any human being. Prophets are human beings. He responded as a human being responded 
And this was a test from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Why did the angel of death say to Musa, or what did the angel of death say to Musa alayhi salam when he came to him the second time? Now, he offered to extend his life, offer from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to extend his life. How to extend it? What was mentioned in that hadith? To put his hand on the back of the ox. And the amount of hairs that his hand covered would be the number of years that he would be extended. And this was also not something that Allah intended to happen. Allah didn't intend for the life of Musa to be extended, but it was a test. And Musa passed the test. He realized that it was the angel of death who was sent to him. And the angel of death is not sent to extend your life. The angel of death is sent to take your life. So he submitted willingly to return to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. As did the Prophet when he was on his deathbed. And he had a choice from Allah to return to him or to stay. And he decided, chose to return to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Okay, this is the end of what we're talking for tonight. Uh, if the sisters have any questions, you can send them over. Naam. Naam. The sacred, oh, it means uh, Jerusalem. Palestine was uh, given, was offered to the Bani Israel. Specifically, the city of Jerusalem is a sacred city. It was in the time of Musa and it is in our time, considered as the third sacred city in Islam. Uh, or the second sacred city. And uh, uh, the Prophet Musa السلام, he was outside of Jerusalem. He didn't enter that sacred land. He didn't enter it. But when it was time for him to die, he asked Allah to allow him to die near the sacred land, very close to it, a stone's throw from the sacred land. And the Prophet said, yani what makes us to understand that Allah answered his request and allowed him to die there, he said that if I were there, I would have shown you his grave on the side of the road, right close to the sacred land. But the Bani Israel entered later, after the death of Musa, and after wandering in the desert for 40 years. Now, even the Prophet said that if someone tries to kill you, or if someone tries to take your property, you should defend yourself. And if you die defending your life or your property or your family, you die as a shaheed. So a Muslim should defend yourself, shouldn't be coward to just lay over and die. But we should defend ourselves. And if it became clear to us that the Qadr of Allah is that we should die on a certain occasion or at a certain time in a certain way, then when the death comes to us, the Muslim should be pleased with the decree of Allah and accept it and submit to it willingly and, 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 and happily that the time has come and be pleased with what Allah has decreed for us. This is a good lesson, Jazakallah from uh, this uh, hadith of Malik al mawt it is a good lesson for us.